1: and scared <laughs> but I'm excited too because gosh what God did in my life um, I always think about Egypt with the Pharaoh and he's like who is this God um, when Moses came to him and God was bombarding him with <laughs> this is who I am and he was so stubborn and he kept hardening his heart and he'd say okay yeah okay you guys can go and then he changes his mind and go back and I see myself there in the past so many times I'm like okay now I'm going to be good now I'm going to start reading the Bible I'm going to go to a church and my heart wasn't there so <clears throat> I wish my family was here um, not meaning just Troy and Lewis, but my mom and my sister and my beautiful nie- nieces My dad and my family doesn't know Christ. I wish they were here right now so they could know the truth. See, when I was little, I didn't have a problem believing in God. I didn't have a problem believing in Jesus. And I even had a conversation with God, and I was so little. And they were talking about evolution in school. And I, was, and I, I remember it, ha, it had to be spring or summer because I was looking up at the sky, and it was so blue, and I can remember the clouds. I said, how do I know you're real? How do I know you exist and we're just not some monkey? And I heard clear as a bell, love. And that was it. That was the entire conversation. And that was enough for that little girl to believe in God all her life. I held on to that, because it it made sense to her that was why God exists. I mean that was my proof i wouldn 't know till now later how how that was proof, but i I know now, and leave it to God to just give you one word, and it just unlocks everything, but i didn 't know jesus um bless my mom 's heart she 's Catholic, and she tried to raise us Catholic. And it was so confusing. I remember asking someone, who is Jesus? Is he is he a shepherd? Is he a carpenter? Is he a fisherman? Is he God? Who is he? And I didn't get a, an answer. And I said, well, if we're Catholic and he was Jewish, why do we worship him? And if he was Jewish and not Catholic, why did the Jews kill him? No answer. So I was confused. I didn't know who he was or why I was supposed to love him. But I wanted to love God, and I wanted to believe in God because I wanted to, I wanted to be good, but I wasn't good. And I can see the enemy in my past trying so hard to tear me away from the faith that little, that tiny little mustard seed of faith that that little girl had, knowing that he existed. And I can see the enemy using people to hurt me. Because very young, there was men that took advantage of me. Because at very young age, my mom took me on a walk, and she told me that wasn't my real father. And I knew that. But for some reason, she had to tell me that my real father didn't want me that he was mad, and that he knew that when, once the baby came along, she wouldn't be happy and everything was going to be destroyed. And be careful what you say to your children, because I see what that did. Because at that same moment, my relationship with my dad fell apart. Um, he he started drinking more and more, and he became more and more violent. And I saw him with my little sister, who was his biological daughter. And I saw a gentleness. And I saw resentment towards me. And I just wanted that father's love. And I didn't realize there was a father who loved me. And I went to other men for that love. And the the, the people that took advantage of this little girl... I thought that was love. I thought I had to do what they wanted me to do for love. And girls, that's not love. Don't let a boy take away from you what's precious. Don't let him tell you you have to do this because this is love. Because that's not love. Because if they love you, they won't make you do those things. If they love you, they will respect you, and they will see you as the beautiful creation that God made you. Because you're so beautiful, and you are, you are so holy, and you don't even know it, and you think you're dirty, and this is the way you got to be treated. Okay. So my emotions ruled my life after that. Everything I did was because. You did this to me, so I'm justified to do this because I'm hurting. It's okay that I do this. I'm sure many of us have been there. You hurt me, so I can do this. And Troy and I got in that vicious cycle with each other. Um, he, back and forth, we would hurt each other. and We didn't even realize we were doing it. Um... And it got to the point where things got so horrible between us. And um, I, went, so I went outside our marriage. And I thought I was finding someone that would love me again. Um, and of course it hurt Troy. And he said he'd forgive me. But at night, the anger would build, and he, and I just needed to run. And I started dropping hints that I'm leaving you. I can't deal with this anger. I need to leave you. And he started a fight on purpose. I'm, I'm not trying to throw him under the bus. I'm like he's, he. I hurt him. Um, and he. He, used, he said something that was really horrible. And I said something really horrible back. And he said, you're going to jail. Because I said, if you hurt my sister, I'm going to kill you. And he says, oh, you're going to jail. Because he didn't want me to leave. And that was his process of thinking. And I, he called the police. And I'm like, what? OK, whatever. So I stood out in the driveway. And I told them what happened. And they went in and talked to him. And I'm thinking they're just going to be like, OK, you guys, is everything cool? But no, they took me to jail. For yelling. And at that moment I was like. Okay I'm never going to forgive this man. Ever. He put me into, in jail. Tore me away from my son. I, I couldn't get it. I couldn't wrap my head around it. Like this lie. So when I was. When I had to get bail. Who did I call but the person that. Um, I cheated on my husband I called that guy and uh, he bailed me out and here I was homeless I wasn't allowed to see my son they had a, a I don't even know what it's called but I couldn't until I went to court I was not allowed to contact him and I was homeless and I had to rely on this guy and it turns out this guy is the most abusive person I have ever met in my life He even drained all the oil out of my vehicle so I couldn't leave the house, his house. Um, He was hurting me. Um, And I worked with the guy, and every day he would abuse me. And I even told the boss what was going on, and the boss didn't believe me. And he came back in, and I got a beating for telling the boss and this is, this is where I was, right before you guys met me. <laughs> this is how bad it got. This is where I was. I was in this pit. I was so far. From, I didn't even think of God because I knew this was my doing. I put myself here. This is what I did. This is all me. God doesn't want me. I'm in hell. And if I die to escape, I'm going to go to hell. I was trapped. There was no forgiveness for me. And I, I, I was like, what am I going to do? I can't see my son. So low, so far, so alone. I have never felt that alone in my life. And Troy sort of was trying to get back together. But I would keep bringing up, why did you put me in jail? Well, why did you do this? Well, why did you? Do that? And it would start that whole cycle all over again of unforgiveness. Well, let's skip ahead a little bit. I started bringing a tape recorder to work, and I finally got on the tape recorder. This person yelling obscenities at me and hurting me, and um, I went to the board and I said, and I gave him the tape recorder and I showed him the bruises, and um, they didn't fire him. He only got two days' suspension because he said, well, because he was a liar. I don't know what he told them. And um, they asked me, why why don't you call the police? Because I was terrified because he threatened my family. He threatened retaliation. Um, Nobody would believe me. And so through that, I was able to start talking to Troy and I told Troy somewhat what happened. There's stuff he doesn't, he doesn't know how bad the abuse was with this person. Um, and I started sort of dating Troy. We started getting back together and talking. And, um, and then he told me about the church, praying around him for our marriage. I'm telling you, if you guys didn't do that, I wouldn't be here. Because I know it changed him. And it softened him, because I started talking to a person that was different. And I noticed it, and I was so scared. Even though I was back in the house, I was terrified. Every day, it was like I was expecting him to go back there. And then he got me to start coming here. And I was terrified, all you guys. I was terrified you knew who I was. You knew what I did. And I was so ashamed. So I started listening to videos of um, the gospel. I started listening to science videos proving God. And I started realizing the truth about Jesus. I was finally learning why Jesus had to die. I realized that I could be forgiven. (laughs) And I can't... And then the day came, I'm sitting in my seat, and I'm like, I got to go to the altar. I got to proclaim. I believe now. I know it. I get it. I want this. I want to be forgiven. I don't want to be me anymore. I want to die. I want that person to go away. And I want to be reborn. I want Jesus to rule my life. And when Pastor... Uh, Brad said, is anyone, I mean, I, I, I could have knocked him down. I was so, so quick to get to this altar. And I tell you, I knelt down, and God opened up my mind, and I saw my life. I saw all that truth that I just told you. I just saw it poured out in front of me, and I saw how I idolized my feelings. I saw everything, how he was there in this moment, in this moment, in this moment. And I realized that was death. That was my flesh finally dying. I was finally Going to be born again into truth and light. And don't be afraid to come up here and pray. Let me just say that. Because if anything, when you feel someone come behind you and put their hand on your shoulder, and you feel that love, and you still have, I still have a little bit of that shame in there. There's still a little bit. I mean, he's rooting it out. Every now and then a memory will come back, and I wish I could just shake my head like an Etch-A-Sketch, you know, and just erase it. But then I realize, like the woman that was crying at Jesus' feet and bathing his feet with her tears and wiping his feet with his hair, her hair, and he says to the Pharisee, she has been forgiven much, so she loves much. I see myself there. And no matter the eyes looking at me and judging me, Jesus is looking at me with love, and he's saying, you're forgiven. So thank you very much.
0: Today we're going to be looking at the tragic story of Judas. Normally, uh, Palm Sunday, man, it's it's more of an upbeat message, a praise God message, a hosanna and the highest type of message. But today I wanted to kind of go in a different direction and just uh, give a warning. I think a case could be made that uh, this man did probably the worst thing that a human being could ever do. Dante, in his book, The Inferno, says that for this specific deed, this dastardly deed, this individual should be in hell forever, being chewed in the mouth of the devil without ever being digested. That's how bad this particular deed was. Jesus said in Mark 14 that it would have been better if this man had never been born. And of course, I'm referring to his betrayal, the betrayal of Jesus Christ. Do you remember how it happened? With a kiss. Do you remember what he got for it? 30 pieces of silver here's a story according to matthew matthew's gospel at this point jesus is in the garden of gethsemane where he has been in agonizing prayer right praying to the father for another way asking for the cup to be taken away but ultimately surrendering his will to the Father's will. Matthew 26, beginning at verse 47. And even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men, armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed and gave him the kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. If we turn a little bit further to Matthew, to, uh, Matthew chapter 27, verse 3, when Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care? They retorted. That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. And the final part of this, you don't have to turn there, is Acts 1.18. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. Well, are you glad you came to church today? Yes. What I would like to do, though, is look at how Jesus got to this, Jesus, how Judas got to this place. There's a, important lessons to learn here. Some of you know who Zach Ephron is, right? Young. Teenage girls. Anybody want to admit? Maybe older teenage, older women know who Zac Efron is. All right, all right. Can you raise your hand just so I know you know who? Oh, all right. So all right, you know who Zac Efron is. Younger, good-looking, heartthrob type of movie star guy. A few years ago, he was he was uh, cast to play Ted Bundy, who is a, as you know, a serial killer. Bundy had killed at least thirty women and that's just what he could remember over a span of years. He was a serial murderer who went through Utah, Colorado, Florida, and Washington. This guy would lure women in with his good looks. Good-looking guy, if you look up his picture early on. Good-looking guy. Very, char- very charming. Murdered them in horrific ways, and he did this in the 1970s. He was later caught Spent time in prison, and he was put to death in 1989 for these crimes. The choice to cast Zac Efron, though, for this person should tell you something, though, about how he looked and the type of person that he appeared to be, how he would come across to the average person that met him. Should you have met him, right? Uh, When I think of serial murderers, I'm thinking Charles Manson. Somebody that's a bit crazy, seems to be that way, a little bit bit psychotic. Somebody that's deranged. But that's not who Ted Bundy, that's not how Ted Bundy came across. He had political aspirations. He was said to be charming and likable. His personality was said to draw people in. People liked him. He was the kind of guy that you wish your daughter would bring home to the family if you didn't really know who he was same guy committed at least 30 murders. And the days before his execution, he gave a bunch of interviews out. I remember hearing one uh, from Dr. James Dobson who was with Focus on the Family, and he was, he was talking about the interview the time he met with Ted Bundy. And one of the things that I remember that came out from this interview is that Ted Bundy believed that it all started with looking at pornography. That's where he believed the road started in the direction that he went. He said it began innocently enough and just grew darker and darker, bigger and bigger. And as soon it led him to a place where he wanted to control and possess these women, they became objects of his rage and fury. Now, if you're like me, just talking about this in church makes me a little uncomfortable. And, And I don't know about you, but that's where i want us to be i want us to be uncomfortable today because sin is never something small sin is never something to be taken for granted never sin is never something to be underestimated sin lies and it tells you that if you do this it's no big deal that's what it tells you every time. It's just something small. It's going to make you happy. It's going to make you feel good. And that might be true for a moment. But sin has a desire of itself it desires to get bigger, it desires to grow and grow and grow. It desires to get so big that it can drag us to our death. That's sin. James, the brother of Jesus, warned us about sin in James 1.14. He said, temptation comes from our own desires, yes, which entice us and drag us away. Then desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Right? That's a seriousness that we're looking at today. Sin is never content to stay back there in the corner you can't just keep it back there in some hidden away place it's never content to just stay there that's what happened with Judas. his story ends with sin leading to his death right in a tragic way but it didn't start off big didn't start off um, atrocious it started off with a little indiscretion right That's where it began. Now, to understand this, and and really I want us to get a good picture of who Judas was, we see him 2,000 years later, right? And his name is a synonym for betrayal. That's what we think of when we see him. His his name is a synonym for treachery, right? Like I I was telling the people here yesterday, you might be surprised, but I don't know anybody that's named their kid Judas. Christian, non-Christian, Christian. Everybody knows the name Judas and has these thoughts about him. I went on this website that has every name in America for the last over 100 years. And so I just started putting some in. I put in my name, James, right? Uh, and, and it graphs it over, over time. And so the name James starts off pretty strong, gets stronger, peaks about the 1940s, and then it's been downhill ever since. Uh, yeah. Put in the name Liam. I don't know where that came from. But Liam, there, there's like no Liams in America early on. And then all of a sudden, like the last 20 years, man, it's peaking. Liam is a very popular name today for guys. Uh, I put in the name Judas, and it was nothing. Like nothing, not even a little blip or anything like that. It's like ranks right up there with Lucifer. Judas comes with a stigma, right? That's what we all think of when we hear this name. That's who we all picture. Just a traitor. Just a betrayer. But that's not how he came across to his companions. That's not how he came across to the people that he traveled with. We, we might imagine and think back to this time and see all the disciples and Jesus, and they're all, they all have their white robes and their beige robes, right? But then there's that one guy with the black robe listening to the death metal and, and whatnot. And, and I think that's how we picture Judas, just just the guy didn't fit in guy was just a little weird just a little bit off but but that wasn't judas to them that's not how he came across to them Judas was a guy that they trusted so much that they made him the treasurer right of the group he held the money they picked him to hold the money you don't pitch the you don't pick the sketchy guy to do that right You've been a treasurer in the the church. we we picked the most honorable people, the people that we can trust, right? Trustworthy people that are beyond any doubts. That was Judas to them. The guy that they wondered about was Peter. That guy is sketchy. That guy couldn't be trusted in money. He would probably go out drinking and just blow it, right? Give it to Judas to hold on to. John 13 tells about the, the Last Supper, The night when Jesus and his disciples are eating together right before he would be crucified. And and Jesus was deeply troubled at this point. Do you remember? He says, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. And they didn't have a clue who that was. Right? Nobody stood out to them. They wondered who that was. Peter, the scripture says, nudges John and says, ask him who it is. Right? And so John... Asked Jesus, who is it? Lord, who is it? And Jesus tells them, the one that I dip this bread and, and give to you, that's the one. And he did that, and he gave it to, Jesus, to Judas, right? Then Jesus tells Judas, hurry up and go do what you're going to do. The disciples hear Jesus tell Judas that, right? And the gospel account says that they didn't know what it meant. They weren't sure And it says some thought that Jesus was telling him to go give some money to the poor. Right? Good old Judas. Probably going to go give some money again to the poor. That's how they thought of him. That's the type of person that they thought he was. And I I want us to understand this. They didn't see the betrayal coming. I, I don't even think Judas saw the betrayal coming we got to be careful, right? We have to be very careful. Sin takes you farther than you ever intend to go, right? Don't, don't play around with it. I'm sure it started with a little fudging the numbers, claiming that business tax credit, right, that's not really a business expense on your taxes, just started off with something small like that. Maybe just took a little bit more for himself, Maybe he just kept the change out of me. sometimes sends me out shopping, gives me a 20, and I forget to give her the change when I come back. Maybe that's how it started. Something small. It didn't start with a big betrayal, right? That's for sure. It started small. It didn't start with him going to the leader saying, hey, uh, uh, how much are you going to give me to betray? Jesus didn't start that way. It never starts that way, though. It never starts off big. But that's where it always wants to go. That's where sin always wants to take you. And that's what we see. It starts off with a little taking some money. And then moves to jealousy. One day there's this feast and this woman came in and threw down the largest donation to Jesus' ministry that's ever been recorded. We actually know exactly how much it's worth. It was worth one year's wages of a, a laborer in that time period. And she gave every bit of it to Jesus. She anointed him in a beautiful way. And with it, it offended Judas. It offended him because she poured it out, this very costly perfume onto Jesus' feet instead of selling it and giving it to the ministry, right? You see, if she would have done that, then he could have taken a little bit. He could have put a little bit in his pocket. He was jealous. He wanted something that wasn't his. I think he was jealous in two ways. He, he wanted the attention from the moment, right? The lady got the attention, if that would have been him, if he would have done something like that. Then people would have been like, oh, wow, look at what Judas did. He's just an incredible guy. He didn't get that, though. He did. I think he was jealous that way. I think he was jealous because he wanted to take a piece of it. He wanted to get some of that money. That money didn't go into his box, so he wasn't able to take some of it. John 12, 4 says this, But Judas Iscariot, the disciple, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some of it for himself. Started with a little taking off the top, moved into jealousy. And and notice how he plays it, right? That money should have been given to the poor. That sounds darn good. Doesn't it? Boy, he he really put her in in her place with that comment, right? Look at all the waste just putting it on Jesus. It could have been sold and given to the poor. What a good guy. Good old Judas, always thinking of the poor. Be careful with this, right? If you find yourself complaining about something, look inward at your own heart, right? Right? because you can sound really good, you can say things really good, but it not not be coming from a good place. How do I know that? Because I know it, because I do it, right? I I come into seasons of complaining where it's easy to look at somebody else and what they're doing or what the church is doing and and say something about that and complain about that. You know where that usually comes, though, in my case from? I'm not happy with something with me. I'm not doing something right. Right? And it's easier to complain about somebody else so that I can feel better about myself. Be careful with that. Judas was trying to look righteous. He was trying to portray himself as somebody that's righteous. Who would argue with what Judas said? Who would argue with that? Well, Jesus. He saw through it. He knew his heart. And he responds by saying, quiet. Quiet, quiet. Jesus should have been sold, given to the poor. Verse 7, Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. In other words, Judas, there's always going to be opportunities that you can give your money to the poor, that somebody can help out the poor, right? Go ahead and do that. She did this for me, though. I'm not going to be on here on this earth much longer. She did something beautiful. Leave her alone. Now that stung for Judas, and that led to the next phase of his journey where he went from impropriety, a little stealing a little bit, to jealousy, and now he's at indignation. That's where he's at, indignation, feeling like, I was right. Here's the thing. He probably convinced himself that he really believed what he said. He probably convinced himself that he really cared about the poor. Probably that was when his mind saying, but but Jesus called him out. Jesus embarrassed him. How dare he put me in my place in front of my friends. Right after Jesus criticizes Judas for commenting on these women's gift, immediately Mark's gospel picks up the narrative with the word then, Mark 14.10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests to arrange to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted when they heard why he had come, and they promised to give him money. So he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. You see what happened? Jesus said that he wanted, Judas wanted to take some of that money that was going to come in. Jesus closed that door, though, and I think he said, you know what? I'll get that money one way or another. And so he went to them. I I tend to believe that 30 pieces of silver probably is what he could have, taken off the top when that donation came in. I wonder if they asked him how much it would cost, and I wonder if he gave him that number. 30 pieces of silver wasn't a lot of money back then. Interestingly, in the book of Exodus, that's the exact amount you had to compensate somebody if a slave died. 30 pieces of silver. So the price that he was willing to sell himself for, the price that he was willing to sell his integrity for was the same amount that it took to buy a slave. 30 pieces of silver. He had become a slave to sin himself. So it starts with impropriety, then jealousy, then indignation, and now he's at a place where he's finally lost all sensitivity. He's beyond feeling. He's numb. He's without any compassion. That's that's why he's able to walk into the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is praying, he probably can see the sweat on Jesus' brow. Maybe he can even see the dried blood there. And that's why he's able to betray him, his Lord, with a kiss. Only he doesn't call him Lord, right? When he kisses him, he calls him Rabbi. If you look, the word Rabbi is almost never used by any follower of, of Jesus or disciple to address him. They mostly refer to him as Lord. But Judas calls him Rabbi, which shows a distance there. Right? He's just a good teacher now. When you call Jesus Lord, when you call Jesus Lord in your heart, that has to come from a kneeling posture. When you call Jesus teacher though, you can you can stay standing and keep your distance. Judas's heart at this point was hardened. He's lost all moral objectivity. His compass is like Jack Sparrow status in Pirates of the Caribbean just spinning around with no true north to guide him. And My friends, that's our destination as well if we keep messing around with sin, if we keep playing with it, even if it's small decisions, right? The small concessions over time cause us to lose sensitivity. We always pray that we'll have soft hearts. That's what I hope we have. That's what I hope I have. We all know what it's like to have our hearts hardened at times, to get stubborn. We all know people that have hard hearts that we pray that God would just be able to get a hold of them. We want soft hearts so that we can feel that touch of God on our lives, that prompting of God, so that we can hear that still small voice and respond not hard hearts that resist the more we ignore god's voice the harder our hearts get first timothy 4 1 says this now the holy spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the true faith they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons these people are hypocrites and liars and their consciousnesses their consciousness are dead Another translation said that their consciousness says why am i having trouble with that word are <laughs> seared like with a hot iron your conscience through misused repeated misuse repeated neglect following false teachings and spirits can be burned with a hot iron can be cauterized making it hard to hear the holy spirit Be careful, right? That's scary. We can choose to harden our hearts or choose to do things that result in the hardening of our hearts. It's like in the book of Exodus that Adria is talking about and the 10 plagues. Several times after those plagues, the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh became stubborn. He hardened his heart. He hardened his heart again. Pharaoh ignored God, ignored these miraculous plagues that should have woke anybody up, right? And then it starts saying that God hardened his heart, and that should scare us, right? It's like there's a point where we keep ignoring God, that God just gives us what we want. You want this? Take it. And gives us over to these things. This should give some of us chills when it comes to sin. Right? I don't know what you're messing around with, but that should give you some, some serious consideration. That should be the last thing that any of us want, that we would reach that place where God says, here you go. Don't miss the opportunities to repent. This today might be an opportunity for someone. If you think about it, God gave Pharaoh opportunity after opportunity. He sends Moses to him let my people go. Don't you love how God works things out with testimonies beforehand, right? Well, uh, Pharaoh doesn't listen. Then God sends these miraculous plagues, and really they were all opportunities just to turn and follow God, listen to God, to repent. And I see the same opportunities though in Judas's life, in Judas's story. I mean, can you look and see God's grace that's offered to him time and time again in these stories? Jesus knew that this betrayal was coming. He knew it. He knew exactly who was going to do it. And he still offers him grace time and time again. That's our Lord. That's our Savior. That's the character of our Lord. And that's what I really want us to focus in on today. Wasn't it grace that was given When Jesus washed his feet, wasn't it? Right after Jesus meets with the chief priest and agrees to betray Jesus, said he was looking for an opportunity, looking for a time, that's when he comes back and that's when Jesus washes his feet. He's probably sitting in that line thinking when would be the best time. And here comes the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And he kneels down and washes his feet. His feet had just come from betraying him. Surely grace shone. Surely an opportunity to repent. Lord forgive me. Right? You know the story that we talked about. The story about whoever I dip and give this bread to you is the one who, who will betray me. That whole thing. I don't know if you know this. But to dip the bread in something and hand it to someone was a sign of honor. That's what hosts did in meals. They would dip the bread and maybe some hummus and give it to that person. And whoever they did to, that too, they are honoring them above everybody else at that place. Surely grace given. Surely an opportunity to repent. He told them that he knew one of them would betray him. Jesus had to know he was talking about him. He had an opportunity to see that honor that was given and to repent and say i'm sorry right but he didn't even when judas shows up in the garden of gethsemane how does jesus address him as friend that's what he says friend right our god keeps the door open for us to repent for us to turn to him to the very end. There's opportunities, and, and his story is so sad because he, he misses them. He wastes them, and he only, in the end, has himself to blame for them. This ended in despair, but it didn't have to, right? Jesus was kind to him, even though he, he knew what was coming. He looked at him right in the eyes when he's down washing his feet, Right? called him friend, even though he was there to betray him. I know he would have welcomed him back. How do I know? Because he did it with Peter. Right? At the same time, Judas betrays Jesus. A little bit later, Peter does as well. Doesn't he? Peter betrayed him. He swore to God, and he called down curses on himself, saying, I don't even know this guy. Right? He betrays him. And yet, Jesus restores him fully. I know he would have taken him back because he's always taken me back. He took Adrian back, right? My friends, grace is available to us today. Don't miss it like Judas did. Pray that your hearts are soft. Pray that your friends' hearts are soft. Don't reject it. If you're playing around with sin, can I just tell you, squash it when it's small. Squash it when it's small. It's much easier to squash a seed than it is to remove a tree. If you ever cut down a tree, you know how hard it is. You know how hard it is to get that root system out of there. Sin starts off small as a seed in our hearts. Don't let it take root. Don't let it grow. I preached about redwood trees in the past, right? They are the largest trees in the world. I kind of have this thing about redwood trees. They can grow to be 370 feet tall. They're amazing. I mean, it's ridiculous how big these trees can get. And the girth on them can be 20 feet wide. I love redwoods. I actually ordered this kit right here. You can grow a redwood. Ten bucks on Amazon if you're interested. Red Wood trees have a really low germination rate, like two percent. This thing says one hundred percent guaranteed. That's a pretty darn good percentage, right? One hundred percent guaranteed to germinate. Just add water and sunshine. I figure we got a couple of weeks in July that we'll have some sunshine, maybe. So I'm, I'm planning on planting it and trying it out. I open this thing up though. Now about you? 370-foot-tall tree, 20 feet girth. I expected the seed to be like this big. That's what I was expecting in here. But it's not. Here it is. I don't know if you can see this. There's five tiny seeds in there. I'm going to be honest. I was disappointed. Like I wanted like a seed this big in here to plant. But here's the seed. Much easier to squash this, right? And to take out a redwood tree. Redwood trees are, I told you they're amazing. They, uh, the average redwood trees has almost 34,000 pounds of water in it at any given time. It pulls out 40% of that water from the fog. that They're mostly in California where it's really foggy, right? You combine all that water with the bark, it's over a foot thick. The bark is over a foot thick. It doesn't have pitch in them, and that's why it's able to survive fires. That's why it's able to, to survive all sorts of bugs that would normally kill other trees. They can't get through that, that, that foot-long thick of armor, in it's bark. Windstorms. They actually have a shallow root systems, very surprisingly. But, but get this. All the redwoods join their root system together and help hold each other up. Help hold each other up standing when the winds come. My point, take it out when it's small. Don't let sin grow in your heart into a redwood tree. Right? Don't let sin take root. Don't compromise the small things. You can't. Somebody on here might want to go have a drink tonight. Don't you dare. Somebody might get frustrated with your spouse and want to look at porn tonight. Don't you dare. Don't let it get root. Don't think it's small. Sin wants you dead. Sin wants you dead. Last takeaway that I want to leave you with is that this this thing that I noticed—it's being associated with Jesus doesn't guarantee that you're a follower of Christ. Being associated with Jesus does not guarantee that you're a follower of Christ. Judas lived with Jesus three good years, right? There for all the sermons, there for all the miracles. How, how can you see all those miracles and end up betraying him? Because sin grew in his heart and dragged him in that direction. Just about every moment, every day of Jesus' life, he was there, front front row seat. And yet he completely missed out on what it meant to be an actual follower of Jesus Christ. My friends, you can come to church and still miss it. Right? You can sit out here and not know your Lord and Savior. You can just think he's a rabbi. He's a good teacher. Do you know him? That the story of Jesus man should scare some of us to death who are religious. We can't be religious, right? You have to have a relationship with God. Somebody said that you can miss heaven by eighteen inches. It's the distance between your head and your heart. You can know a lot about Jesus Christ, but not know him. I know a lot about Michael Jordan, but I don't know him. I can tell you a lot of things, but I've never met him. You can sit in these chairs and know a lot about Jesus and hear the sermons and hear the testimonies and yet still not know him. Be careful. Be careful with that. Today is an opportunity know him, right? An opportunity to repent and give your heart to him. Don't harden your heart to God's grace that's extended to you. Don't you dare. Don't miss it. Accept it. Surrender your life to it. Amen? Would you stand with me? Some of you may not know him. Some of you may be watching right now. You know a lot about him, but you don't know him. Can I encourage you? Just admit that you've sinned and trust him to save you. Trust him to make a way to the father. Trust him to restore the relationship, to give a relationship to you so that you can know him. My friends, make him Lord of your, over your entire life. If you're holding back on an area, let it go. If you're holding back because you like that sin, squash it. Let it go. And surrender your life to him. Surrender your lives and become a follower of Jesus Christ. Develop that relationship with him over time. Spend time in his word. Let him speak to you through it. Pray to him. Let him speak to you. Let him give you that one word that you might need that day. Sometimes he gives you more. Sometimes he prompts your heart. Spend time with him. If you're playing around with sin, stop it. Confess it. That's how we squash it, right? We do it by confessing Tell somebody what you're struggling with. Lock roots with somebody. That's a great analogy for a small group. Redwood trees. Those things would topple over with their small root system, their shallow root system, but they locked in with each other. You need a small group. You need a good group of people that you can feel comfortable enough to confess your sins to. People that will pray for you, that will love you, that will help you. You're always welcome to do that in here, but I can tell you it just doesn't usually happen in a group like this. You need somebody to talk to you, you can talk to me. You can talk to Pastor Doug. You can talk to some other mature Christian. Don't do this alone. Don't try to take it on alone. The enemy wants to keep you away from everybody else, wants to segregate you, wants to tell you church isn't important. You don't need to go to church, right? You don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Ah. I don't know why Jesus would tell us to keep on meeting together then. You need a support system. you need a church family. Make it a priority. Quit messing around with the sin. Quit doing that, right? Lay that down. Last thing I want to say is, I don't care how many times you've fallen. Fall towards the cross. Right? Man, I, I dabbled in sin. was a slave to sin. Habitual sin. prayed for God to take it away time and time again. And he didn't always. But I fell towards the cross. And one day he did. One day he freed me. I don't know if I just was doing something wrong. I don't know what it is. But if you're dabbling with something, you're in bondage to something, fall towards the cross. Get a group of believers around you. I resisted that. That's probably why I stayed in that place so long. No way I'm going to tell people what I'm going through, right? And I fought it on my own. Don't do that. Get some people with you. You are not going to shock anybody here with anything that you tell them. I guarantee it. We're still going to love you, right? Thank you, Adria, for sharing for being willing to share that. Man, it fits so good with today. That's God working that out. But I want you to know that. This place, this church, man, we're here for you. Whatever you're going through, you won't shock us. We'll welcome you. We'll love you. We'll walk beside you. We'll wrap our roots around you together, right? And we'll be there. Amen? Father, thank you for today. Lord, I pray if there's somebody in here that does not know you, Father, I pray that they would give you their entire lives right now. They would, they would just confess you as their Lord. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, I know I need you. Lord, I believe that you made a way so that I could come to you. Father, I, I claim you as my Lord. I claim you as my Savior. Help me to live for you. Father, I pray that that would be the prayer. If you made that prayer, you need to tell somebody. Tell me. Tell me. Tell somebody else so that we know how to walk beside you and help you out. Father, I pray if there's somebody dabbling in sin, Lord, pray that they'd squash it, not through their own power, but through a family that cares about them that'll pray for them, through confessing it and through your power. Lord, we give you this thing, whatever it is, Lord, and no matter what, we'll keep turning to you. We'll keep repenting. Father, we pray that you'd free us from it, though. Pray that you'd take it away. Lord, we love you, and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.